0: Welcome to the Life Self Mastery podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi, everyone. This is Rohit from Life Self Mastery. I'm excited to have Melissa Widner, who's the CEO of Lighter Capital, the pioneer and leading provider of revenue based financing to SaaS companies. Um, Melissa was the Managing Director of NAB Ventures, the VC arm of National Australia Bank, and a general partner at Seattle-based Seapoint Ventures. She's the founder and CEO of Seven Software, a Silicon Valley-based enterprise software company, which was acquired by Concor. and she was also the CEO of Northwest Industrial Supply. She's done a Master's in Education from Stanford. Welcome to the show, Melissa.
1: Hi, Rahit. It's great to be here.
0: Awesome, uh, um, Melissa. You you have a, have a great experience. Uh, you you founded your own company, and now you are the CEO of Lighter Capital. Now, how did you get into the into this crazy world of startups, and you know what led you to uh, be the CEO of Lighter Capital?
1: Well, people come to startups in a lot of different ways, but I was probably a, had a typical path in that I was a pretty entrepreneurial kid. So I was starting businesses when I was younger and I had a business when I was in college. So I was always quite entrepreneurial. Um, And that led me to right after school, a friend of mine's father hired me to run a company of his that was a turnaround. Um, And then I went to business school and did a little bit of time in banking, but started a software company called Seven Software in Silicon Valley. And um, that had a successful exit to Concur. Then I went into venture capital in the U.S. and then um, landed in Australia with an Australian husband and ended up running National Australia Bank's venture capital fund. And that is what led me to Lighter. So in 2018, uh, National Australia Bank, along with Silicon Valley Bank, invested in uh, a, a round for lighter, a funding round for lighter. and I went on their board. And I absolutely love the company and love what they do. Um, as a, an entrepreneur, an angel investor and a venture capitalist, I really understood the v- value proposition. And um, when we needed to bring a new CEO in in 2020, I, I applied for the job and and I got it. so I've been been at it for a couple of years now.
0: Super, super interesting. And, uh, you know, uh, you, you have been part of uh, uh, NAB Ventures as well as Seapoint Ventures. Uh, did a stint in a VC firm really help you, uh, you know, become become a better operator since, you know, you you are a CEO outside of Apple
1: Yeah, I love that question because um, I was the CEO of two companies that both had really successful exits. And um, when I look back, on i was young at that and for both of those um roles i really didn't know much about running a company so i think a lot of the successful exits had to do with luck and timing and you know really good teams but then i went into venture and had the you know great fortune of working with Amazing CEOs, seeing good CEOs and bad CEOs, and CEOs, and really getting to see a lot of different management styles. And I think I was in venture for almost two decades, and I always had in the back of my head that you know I'd love to get back into an operating role and see if I could apply some of these learnings that I've that I've gotten from watching these CEOs I've worked with as a venture capitalist. So I, I actually think it's a great. Way to get a broad view of different management styles. And, um, you know, it's it's really a privilege.
0: Got it. And, uh, you know, I want to talk about a lighter capital. Uh, you know, uh, is, is it revenue based financing only to, uh, to SaaS companies? And, you know, uh, which are the sort of companies that you help uh, across? Uh, it's, a-
1: yeah, <laughs> it's primarily been SaaS, but. It's any company with recurring revenue. So we have some B2C, we have some services companies. I mean, historically, Lighter Capital was really the original player, is the original player in this space to do this SaaS lending at scale. We started in 2010 and really started focusing on SaaS in 2012. And we've done about 1,000 rounds of financing since then to close to 500 companies, and most of them are SaaS companies, but but it's it's really any company with at least 15,000 in monthly recurring revenue, um, we would look at to potentially fund.
0: Got it, interesting, and um, you know, around 50 to 80% of the ad spends uh, uh, you know, goes into into Facebook and Google ads. Uh, you know, w- w- especially when when you're building a new company, you you got to put a lot of money into ad spends. But why is that? And you know, what what do you think could be a solution uh, around that?
1: Around ad spend?
0: Yeah, especially when it comes to you know B two C and B two B. You know, SaaS companies. A lot of money is being put into into ad spends, um, and uh, you know, most most of uh, the new acquisition of customers happens on Google and Facebook. but is there any, is there any turnaround? Uh, what, can, what can companies do to, uh, to have a better acquisition channel?
1: Well, I, I, it's really company specific. So that's a, it's a um, question that, that it would you'd have to look at the specific company. Um, I think on the consumer side, you know probably that's the main path. On the B2B side, a lot of times it could be partnership or the influencers in the space talking about your product. Um, so it depends on the business itself. But you're right that ad spend is something people rely on a lot more than they did, say, a decade or two decades ago for customer acquisition. And I think given that it's important to have tools to make sure that you're, you know, you're tracking, you know, what What's actually producing um, the most for your spend, and there's a lot of great tools out there.
0: Correct, and um, you know, uh, uh, before the call, I was I was talking about you know how, how I uh, worked on uh, a, a bit of uh, revenue-based financing, and yeah. uh, uh, you know, I just wanted to understand, especially when it comes to B two B SaaS companies, uh, how can how a debt financing help them? Uh, which are the companies you, you know who should look at debt financing rather than You know, uh, liquidating the stake, uh, the equity stake?
1: So, if you are a company, a growth company, and you need a certain amount of money to get to the next stage, and you can get that money in debt or equity, so it's say it's the same amount of money, let's call it a million dollars, and you have the opportunity to get that million dollars in either debt or equity, you should always take debt, unless you're going to get something more with the equity. For example, if you're going to bring on an equity partner, that's really going to move the needle on your business because they're able to introduce you to partnerships or do something else that really, you know, you're giving them 10, 20% of your company, that's actually going to um, bring more than that in value for the company. Or unless the debt is going to be burdensome, to service and potentially put the company at risk. So, um, but if if you have debt that's not burdensome to service, and if you are not going to get enough value from the equity provider to justify the you know the controls sometimes and the equity you're giving away, you should always take debt over equity. Um, and I know you know this better than anyone, given you did your thesis on revenue-based financing. But um, with revenue-based financing, um, the nice Thing about it is that at least the way lighter does this um, not all companies do this but we are revenue based financing product we collect um, a fixed percentage of the revenue <clears throat> it's usually under ten percent so call it maybe you know six or seven percent of the revenue that's set in advance when we when we provide the funding and it's on a monthly basis and it's based on cash collected revenue so the company's not in a situation where, um, you know, they can't pay because if their revenue declined, yep. then the amount they pay declines. And, and we saw that in COVID. We had companies in the event space whose revenue went, revenues went down 90%. We had com- a company that did corporate lunch delivery and their revenue was down close to 90%. You know, that, as you can imagine, when COVID hit that that business all but stopped, but they weren't, they didn't have a, an onerous debt burden to service because the amount that they paid was a percentage of the
0: revenue. Very interesting. And, uh, you know, when it comes to processing loans to startup founders, you know, what, what metrics are important for you and, and, you know, how much, how long does it, uh, the entire process take?
1: So if you're a slow typer, it takes 10 minutes to fill out our, our application. Um, and then, uh, usually, a term sheet. It, it depends if it's really straightforward. If there's no questions, a term sheet can be in a day or two, and the funding can happen in a couple of weeks. Got so, it. compared to going out for a venture round, that you know you have lots and lots of conversations, sometimes dozens, um, sometimes more than a hundred, and um, could take months, maybe even more than a year to get funding. It's a it's a really fast. Pro- it's a fast and a straightforward process. Because there's not, at least in our decision making, it's almost one hundred percent objective. Right. Where when I was on the venture side, um, you know, the thing that the the me- the thing we were looking at the most was team, and right. and team is very much a subjective measurement. Versus, yeah, you know, revenue Our our financing is objective. Our 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 decision making is based on objective criteria.
0: to so I have an interesting stat for you to you denote know that the founder of Beautiful Lives increase the social media presence by 10x they managed to publish consistently and effortlessly using a robust social media management tool called social pilot social pilot is a cost-effective social media tool that helps businesses scale their social media marketing efforts Use social pilot to get a 14-day free trial interesting and uh, and do you think revenue-based financing is like an alternative to vC funding and, and do you think you know vC funding is up for disruption
1: No, we it's it works in tandem. And look, if you are a company, if you're running a company that needs lots of money and going, you know, for a very big market, you're probably going to have to go down the VC path. Um, We provide up to four times revenue, four times monthly recurring revenue to companies with under $3 million in revenue and up to six times monthly recurring revenue to companies with over $3 million in revenue. So when you think about that size, let's say a company is doing 50000 a month in revenue, we could give them $200,000 in funding. Um, and that's great. That maybe allows them to hire a couple more salespeople um, or a couple dev. Um, but if you're a company at that stage and you need to raise $10 million to go, you know, to, to get it to the next level, then you'd have to go down the venture path. Um, and we have, like I said, we've done um, close to a thousand rounds of financing. So we have a lot of different paths that our customers take. Some never take VC financing, and some never take it because they just do not want anyone on their cap table. They want to run their company. They don't want, you know, they don't want to give up any control. Um, some don't take VC financing because they won't qualify for it simply because their TAM isn't large enough. So their total addressable market's not going to be large enough. Uh, VCs are primarily unicorn hunters and they're looking for really large companies. There's a lot of great companies that aren't going to become unicorns that are still, you know, nice growth companies and need growth funding. And, and then there are, we have several examples of companies in our portfolio that used our, our capital to get them to a point where they were VC ready. Um, and, and we have companies that use us, especially these days for in-between VC rounds. So they've raised some VC money, um, they aren't ready to go out for another round for whatever reason, maybe they're just about to hit a big growth spurt and they wanna wait until they you know, achieve that before they go out and set a new valuation. So they'll use us for
0: in-between VC rounds. Uh, got it. And um uh, uh, and you know you, you talked about COVID, but uh, but do you think because of uh COVID, you know, it has led to a disruption where uh you know the VC investing uh for, for a long time was happening only in the important hubs and cities. But but do you think uh, for lighter capital and you know for other VCs, uh do you think big companies can can come out of smaller hubs and smaller cities around the world?
1: Yeah, yeah. One when, and one of our uh, portfolio, former portfolio companies, um, because they paid us off, which is, you know, what happens with a lot, most of our companies uh, is one that was out of Ohio, um, Seamless AI. And now they're a unicorn, amazing company, um, and a great product. We use their product. But they, uh, you know, Brandon and Danielle, the founders talk about how you know, when they first started, they couldn't get VC funding because they were told, you know, you can't start a tech company in Ohio. You're not going to get funded with a, you know, running a company in Ohio. And I think that's all gone by the wayside now because, you know, we see this remote work works and, and um, we're seeing these hubs really take off. So, and COVID was an accelerator. I think that was probably happening anyway, but COVID really accelerated it.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think COVID really actuated it, and especially when it comes to lighter capital, you know, uh, how how what, how does lighter capital make uh, their revenues, and uh, how do you, how do you look at unit economics, especially when you know a startup is just making fifteen thousand uh, dollars in MRR, and you're looking to fund them.
1: Yeah. So we, the way that we make our money is we have a cost of capital and our capital source is from Credit Suisse. And we have a warehouse facility with them and we pay them a fixed amount for that capital. And we lend that capital out with our revenue-based financing and we make our money on the margin. So we are aiming to make, you know, we don't have a set interest rate. Well, in fact, we do actually have term loans for companies that want just a fixed loan. Most companies want the revenue-based financing, which is where um, the amount they pay fluctuates with their revenue. At the end of the day, they pay the same amount. If they're going to pay us, you know, a dollar thirty, they'll pay us a dollar thirty. It's just the timing on that could be three years or it could be, you know, two years depending on how quickly they grow. But um, we are aiming to, you know, uh, make a higher. IRR then we're actually paying our our revenue our our facility our credit facility so that's how we make our money is on the spread.
0: Got it and uh, since you're working with uh, uh, you know hundreds of founders uh, how, how do you look at building trust with uh, the founders uh, and you know since it's, it's a uh, it's an exchange of money as well as you know building trust over time and they also look at you know topping up capital uh, what, what's the best way to you know, build a trust with the founders?
1: Well, um, I mean, the process is so straightforward. You know, we are plugged into their financials. Um, we, you know, they are paying us a percentage of their revenue until the loan is paid off. So, I think, you know, I had the good fortune just in terms of coming into Lighter. Um, Lighter has such a great reputation in the market um, because from its from the get go, they've always just been a company that has uh, really. Uh, Appreciated the entrepreneur's journey, understood the entrepreneur's journey, and been supportive of entrepreneurs, and so that reputation was built up over a long time. So it, you know, when when companies come in, they usually know other companies who worked with us before, and we have a, a great reputation for being good to work with.
0: All right. and Melissa, you've been you've been part of uh, you know, VC firms as well as companies which you founded earlier. Uh, what advice would we give to founders and how to the structure their is?
1: Well, it's it's depends on what you're hoping to do. Like we talked about earlier, if you need to raise a lot of capital to get to the next stage, then you would have to go down the VC route. And you really want to find a VC who supports your vision. And that's the most important thing to make sure you're aligned there. And when you get multiple VCs, which I think it's actually, if you are going down the VC path, it's a good idea to have more than one. Um, You want to make sure they're aligned too. Uh, I saw, I started my VC career in the 2000s and, you know, that was a tough time. We had the tech rec and then the GFC. Um, The, you know, what, what made things, what could make things quite difficult is when you had funds that had different um, timelines. You, know, you might have a VC on your board that wants an exit quickly because they're at the end of their last fund and they're not raising another fund. And a VC who's um, at the beginning of a new fund and, and ha- you know, wants to really push the company to become large. And, and that can be really um, stressful and confusing for the entrepreneur when you've got your sources of capital who you have to listen to if you're going to need more capital, and you know they, are, they at that point, probably have some control over the company, when you have um, different board members and different stakeholders pushing you, in, uh, you know, in different directions. So I would make sure when you're bringing on um, capital providers, and especially onto your board, that they're aligned with your vision. And, and I, that's an e- easy advice to give, <laughs> but I always, I always would laugh when I got that advice as an entrepreneur because, you know, you get the advice, choose your VCs wisely, when the reality is most entrepreneurs don't have a choice, you know, that VCs only fund, you know, 1% of companies they look at. Um, we hear we we like to celebrate the companies that had you know ten term sheets that got to choose the one. But the reality is, most companies that get funded don't have a multiple of uh, term sheets that they're that they're choosing from. So it's it's great advice to tell an entrepreneur to choose your VC wisely. But a lot of times they're not even in a situation where they have a choice.
0: That makes sense. And and do you think a founder should always be raising?
1: Uh, if look, I remember when I was running seven software and, um, one of our, um, early advisors said to me, I remember saying, Oh, I hate fundraising. I don't know anyone that likes fundraising, but I hate fundraising. I want, I can't wait till this is done so I can get back to, you know, my job running the business. And he said, Melissa, your job is fundraising. You, you should plan on spending a third of it fundraising, whether you're in a fund, you know, whether you're in a fundraiser or not, you're spending time, um, nurturing your current investors, um, prepping potential future investors. So if you are a company that's going to require a lot of capital over multiple rounds, you, you should always be fundraising, even if you're not in the middle of the fundraise. But when I look at a lot of lighter capital, a lot of our portfolio are capital efficient companies and they have the luxury of not having to do that. And when, when they do um, you know, if they, if they take Capital from us. Like I said, the application is ten minutes. If you're a slow typer, um, it's a, you know it can be as little as a few weeks until the money's in your bank. A couple of days until you have a term sheet, and it, it doesn't take a lot of the entrepreneur's time.
0: Mailman is an email assistant that shields you from unimportant emails, minimizing interruptions and making your days calmer and more productive. You can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM. Uh, which gives you the benefit of fifteen percent off for the first year on the annual plan, uh, which already has twenty percent discounted compared to the monthly plan. So you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code uh, uh, You know, uh, obviously, a revenue-based financing could be could be a great option, but uh, uh, but uh, 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 you know, what advice would you give to founders who are looking to 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 raise funds uh, during these times? <laughs> To
1: raise venture financing or any financing,
0: yeah, any, any financing, especially during the time of recession.
1: Yeah, well, this is a tough time to raise. Yeah. Um, it's a tough time to raise, especially if you raised a year ago or, or two years ago or any time before six months ago, um, because valuations are down. Valuations have been going up and up and up for quite a long time. Um, we've really been in, we've been in a bull market since two thousand nine, as you know, until yeah. recently. So. You just have to be prepared, probably for a down or a flat round, even if you've done well, and that's tough. It's tough for you know venture capitalists. They don't like to write down their investments, um, especially if they're in the middle of raising a fund. It, it can make it difficult to explain to employees that potentially their options are underwater right now if if you raise it at. Um, Uh, lower round. I mean, this is revenue-based financing is actually a great option in a market like this because for companies who did a financing round last year and, and then have done well, and we're planning on doing one this year because they need more growth capital, you know, this is an option for companies that not only don't want to take dilution, but also don't want to price around.
0: Started. And uh, I, I want to talk about hiring, especially when you're looking to scale a business. You're always looking for high performers. But what, what does high performance really mean to you in business? Um, especially, you know, since you built Zen software and uh, you've been a CEO of uh, of uh, like uh, capital.
1: Well, it's the team is so important. I mean, that's just you know that sort of goes without saying. And um, what the the Best way, I think, to do, to find a high performer is, you know, to find people that you know who they've worked with before. So I when I came to NAB our to um, Lighter Capital from NAB, I brought um, our COO, Nick Baker, who I worked with at NAB for a couple years. So I knew exactly what he was like to work with. I knew he was a high performer. Um, you know, looking at lighter as we hire people and bring other people in. A lot of times it's from somebody that we know or someone that they've worked with. And that gets hard. It gets hard to do. If you're, you know, you have companies that are hiring hundreds of people in, you know, a short period of time, you're not going to have all of those connections, but to the extent that you can find out, you know, what they're like to work with from other people they work with. I'm, I'm, I'm still surprised. I was so surprised how often people don't do, um, you know, don't do the proper reference checking before hiring people. And, and one thing, another mistake I saw all the time as a VC, and I saw VCs pushing companies to just, you know, Hire quickly, hire quickly, and hiring quickly is great because you need people to execute. But if you make the wrong decision in hiring quickly, then it just ends up taking a lot more time than it would have to take it to than it would have if you had taken a little more time to make the right hire.
0: it. interesting, and um, especially you know, with your experience as as a VC, uh, uh, what what do you think are, do the best companies do to retain? Uh, talent, especially when they're looking at scaling up, because lo- lot of uh, lot of companies look at scaling up and and they really hire a lot of people, but but the but the culture is not can cannot always be maintained, especially when it goes from Series B to D when you you're really scaling up and you're putting a lot of growth capital. What do you think the best companies do to retain uh, such talent?
1: I think that respect for your Team members and understanding what the team members, you know, what's important to them, and communication. I mean, I can't say that enough. But you know, sometimes at the leadership level, you know, you're thinking about and talking about the strategy all the time, so you assume you know other people understand what it is because you maybe said it, uh, you know, months ago at the the last. Quarterly meeting, but it's something that's important to reiterate all the time in the direction, so everybody everybody understands where you're going. And we did some things um, <clears throat> early on when I came on the, at Lighter on the culture side um, that that I think have worked well. Um, first of all, Lighter was prior to COVID; <clears throat> it was not a remote company at all. In fact, they would hire people to manage the New York office or to manage the New York market and require that they live in Seattle. So it was very much a, you know, pre COVID way of working where everybody had to be in the same office together every day. And now we, after COVID, we went fully remote and we have people in I think seven different countries all over the U S and that's working really well, but we have to, we put a lot of time and thought into what it means to run a remote Company and how we keep that connectivity going, even when we're remote. So, we do a couple offsites where we get together um, in person and it's really fun. And, and it's more about those offsites. While there is um, <clears throat> some business, you know, and some that, that's conducted at those offsites for the most part, it's really about, you know, how do we form those bonds and do that accelerated water cooler talk. And, and, and so far, that's working really well. Um, one thing I noticed when I came into Lighter, Lighter had a policy like a lot of startups do in the U.S. of unlimited vacation, and I remember coming in. I've been in Australia for a while, where in Australia everyone has four weeks, and everybody takes it. And a lot of people even take more than that, probably because it takes like that long just to leave Australia and come back. But um, they, I thought, well, that's a really generous policy. And then I, I came in and I saw that people weren't really taking vacation um and you know it's so important to get away to get that downtime and you know it's really important not just for the person but actually for the company to have people that are refreshed and and um you know get that time away so what we did is we started providing an incentive to our employees to take vacation and we said you know if you take a week and you don't respond to email during that week then you'll get a $500 bonus and if you respond to email, you don't get the bonus. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, we really try to push, you know, how important that is to, um, you know, to do that. And and I think that um, you know it's it's something that we really live by. We celebrate it when people take vacations.
0: Yeah, no, I, I absolutely love that. And military um, you know, you've been a successful VC, and you are a CEO for a fast-growing startup. Uh, what what do you think the startup ecosystem should do uh, to have a have a, have a you know, a level playing field for uh, female founders as well as VCs so that we have more representation of them?
1: Well, we're seeing great strides there. So I I, um, co-founded an organization in Australia called Heads Over Heels in 2010 that supports female entrepreneurs running high-growth companies. And we've seen um, the numbers move in terms of uh, women in australia especially running companies and starting companies that are getting funded there's still pretty dismal numbers in terms of overall dollars that go to women-led companies on overall bc dollars that go to women-led companies and that is partly but but so that's that's a uh you know a negative story that's out there, but on the positive side, we're seeing more women get funded. It's just, you still have that small percentage because a lot of the companies that are getting lots of funding are run by men, but um, we're starting to see that change, which is nice. It's taking a long time. Um, And we're also starting to see more women in investing and at venture firms. I just hosted an event at my house in Seattle for Women in VC, and I think we had 20 people there, which was great. And um, if I had done that in Seattle when I was a VC in Seattle in the 2000s, I think we would have had three or four. So that's changing. You know, we still don't have a lot of women at the partner level, um, it, but there's a lot of women. I'm encouraged to see a lot of women at the associate level and the analyst level. So uh, you know. We should see some changes in a few years, and, and that's really changed a lot in the last decade. And as we see more not just um, women, but people of color, and people who aren't you know your traditional what we what was typically a VC, uh, a white male. As we see that, we will see um we will see a diversity in funding as well, and who the funding goes to. Got
0: it, and uh, I quickly want to do to the top three. What's a favorite business book?
1: Oh, so I love Built to Last. It's one that I've probably read three different times over the last two decades. So that's one that I go back to when I just need a little refresher. And um, the hard thing about hard things—that's that's—it's an easy read. It's it's encouraging. It's sort of a pep talk when you need it. Um, and on the culture side, I like No Rules Rules, which is the Netflix. Um, how Netflix built their culture. That's that's um, you know I don't necessarily agree with everything in there, but it's it's very thought provoking. Um, so those are those are three that three of my go tos.
0: Uh, I'll to put that in the show notes. And you know, if you could go back in time when you started working with Lighter Capital, what is the one thing you would have focused on or done anything different?
1: So I wasn't the founder of Lighter. Right.
0: Um, I came in a
1: couple years ago as the CEO. So it's probably not. Uh, as relevant a question for me, I would, if I go back to seven software and think of what I would focus on, um, we did a lot of things really right in terms of, we got a really good team on early, we got great people. And, um, when I think about that company and the success of that company, it had to do with, um, you know, I mean, which is kind of obvious, but we really had a phenomenal team. And a lot of them have gone on to do, and we we're all pretty young at the time, but have gone on to do some pretty amazing things.
0: Got it. And um, uh, what's your favorite online tool, for example, Gmail, Slackstone?
1: Favorite online tool for business?
0: Um, yeah, for business or personally, do you, uh, do you suggest any online tool?
1: Well, we're a big Slack user um, and that be, we became a much bigger Slack user when we went remote and or during COVID. So uh, that, you know, that works really well. We're a big Salesforce user, probably some of the obvious ones um, uh, look calendly or any any scheduling. You know, why did that take so long? That just saves so much time, but um,